Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Training with Tucker podcast. Today you are stuck with me for the the full podcast. I will have some some guests coming on in the next few, but today I'm going to recap my Bandera 100 experience, Bandera 100K that is, and uh, you know talk about some of the lessons I learned and some of the takeaways, and also share some advice for those that are racing at Houston this weekend. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of of me talking um, and sharing my experiences over the the last uh, week here. If that's not something that you're interested in today and just hearing me kind of recap a, a week in my life, then maybe this isn't the episode for you. But um, if it is, join in for the ride and uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, so I'm going to start off just kind of going through what, what the Madeira experience was like for me. Um, I flew out on Friday. Um, the race was on Saturday. And uh, from Denver to San Antonio was a super easy flight which was great. Um, my friend and athlete that I coach, Gabe, lives down in San Antonio, and he was just an absolute rock star, MVP all weekend. He picked me up from the airport. We went to a grocery store and picked up food, and uh, he then kind of showed me around some of the, the sites in San Antonio. It's a really cool city, definitely a place I would go back to. Um, you know, there's a lot of history there and um, some really nice, nice neighborhoods and uh, Definitely a spot that I would like to spend more time in, but uh, unfortunately didn't get to spend a lot of time in San Antonio, went back to the airport, picked my sister up, and then we drove the hour and a half north to where our Airbnb was. Not a full hour and a half, uh, just with traffic, it it worked out to that. Bandera is not too far away from San Antonio. It's also not too far from Austin, so if you do decide to go down for any of those races, they have a 25K, a 50K and a 100k um and uh you can go from from either airport austin or san antonio and uh so we got set up at the airbnb and we uh we made some food and went with the the classic pre-race meal of pasta and veggies and um you know hit the spot it was good we uh after dinner we talked through the plan which i think is is super important for ultra distance events when you have a crew is to go through kind of step-by-step step what the day is going to look like. Definitely some lessons that I learned that I'll go into more um, later in the in the episode here uh, with crew. But um, we went through and we talked about where on the course uh, I wanted them, what I was going to need from them at different spots, um, what I wanted them to remind me when I came through at different aid stations. And uh, yeah, kind of talked about how the logistics, how they were going to get from one place to another, we looked into like what the parking was like at different situ different uh, locations, and uh, and that was kind of it. We uh, we played a, a round of, of code names and uh, and then we went to bed. Um, I never sleep super well the night before a race, so uh, Friday night was no different. I had a little bit of trouble falling asleep and probably got like five hours of sleep, but um, you know it, it isn't the end of the world, um, especially for a, a race that is not going to take more than. A day and isn't going to go into the next night it's not really a, a big deal so um, I wasn't too stressed about that woke up had my my usual uh, pre-race meal about two hours beforehand I had a, a bagel with with peanut butter and banana and uh, and then we drove over to the start and when we went outside you know we looked at the weather the day before we knew what what it was likely going to be like um, but when we went outside it was 
very obvious just everything was wet it wasn't really raining but it was just so freaking humid and uh it was kind of misting a bit you know as we were driving over you know windshield wipers were on the whole way because there was definitely precipitation but it wasn't really raining it was more like misting and just it was like we were driving in a cloud and uh so we made our way over to the to the start line area drove into the the texas uh, hill country state natural area and um and got ourselves parked and picked up my my bib and got all set and ready to go did a little warm-up hit the porta potty and um got ready to go and um you know, luckily they, they bumped the start back an hour this year. It previously started at 6.30 a.m. This year it started at 7.30, which means that you didn't, don't need to start with a headlamp. So that was nice. Um, you know, by the it was dark when we got there, but by the time it started, it was plenty light. So really didn't need the headlamp. And um, it was like high 60s at the start and 95% humidity. Um, so, you know, that was definitely going to be a factor throughout the day. And um, I knew that going into it, you know, I was hopeful that I'd be competitive at the front end, but I also knew that I needed to run my own race and be smart. And with the heat and humidity, I knew that there were going to be a lot of people that would really suffer out there. And if I went out too hard and tried to like keep up with the lead pack, it was definitely going to blow up in my face. So I ran my own race. Um, it does narrow down fairly quickly. So I made sure that I got out and kind of found a little bit of space. Um, it does narrow down quick and there's a couple sharp turns and at one of those turns like I got a little tripped up almost fell down but managed to stay on my feet and uh you know then it, it's kind of like a it, it narrows down to the point where it's like you know uh traffic on a highway so you're going as fast as the people in front of you and uh you're not wanting to go so slow that you're slowing down the people behind you so you're kind of just stuck going the pace of everybody else um which, which was totally fine and um I happened to be running right near Courtney DeWalter, which was freaking amazing. Um, somebody who I've you know, looked up to and admired for a long time and uh, arguably the biggest name in, in Ultra Trail. And um, so super cool to be running with her. And, um, you know, the, the start line was just, you know, packed with, with people that, you know, I've, I'm familiar with. Maybe not everyone is because Ultra Trail is still growing, but, you know, Joe McConaughey, an East Coaster who set FKTs on the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Arizona Trail. Um, he's just done some awesome things, that the long trail in Vermont. Um, he was a college runner, super fast miler. That's kind of turned himself into a, a long endurance um, endurance athlete. And he won the Cocodona 250 this year. So he's done some awesome stuff. And he was definitely somebody that I thought had a real good chance to to win. Um, given his, you know, his endurance and his, his speed, his kind of range there. Um, a ton of other big names in the, in the sport, uh, from Anthony Lee and Jeff Colt and Ryan Montgomery, JP Giblin, who came in second at Leadville last year, um, on the women's side, Nicole Bitter and Amanda Basham, just a, a really strong, strong field of, of athletes all going for golden tickets. And, uh, so it was super cool to be running in that field and um, just to be, you know, on the trails with, with all these people that I've, you know, admired for a long time. So anyways, we uh, make our way the first four or five miles. There's a lot of, of climbing. And so it started to kind of thin out a little bit and spread out 
and I kind of just found my groove and, uh, you know, by a mile in, I was just completely drenched from the, the mist and from sweat, from the humidity. So, um, you know, it actually felt kind of good that it was precipitating for the first couple hours because it, it kept you cool. But, um, yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting experience for sure. So got to the first aid station and I didn't really need anything. The nice thing about the Bandera course is the aid stations are super close together. The longest gap between eight is seven miles. And so the first aid station was like five miles in, then it's four and a half miles in uh, from there, then it's seven miles. So you really can get aid quite frequently, which means that you can travel light. So I was using just a handheld bottle and I had two or three gels with me at all times. And I would stop at some aid stations to refill my bottle and pick up you know, some fuel if I needed to. But otherwise, especially in the first 50K, I was moving as light and as quickly as possible. And I wasn't really stopping at aid stations. So um, I was fueling primarily with Gatorade gels, which I've really liked. They're a little more liquidy and easier to take down, especially when it gets really, really hot. And, uh, you know, knowing myself, I don't really like to be taking in like sticky gels when it when it's hot out. So the more liquidy Gatorade gels have been working well for me. So I was taking that in and in my water, I had scratch, which was good for most of the race. I did switch at certain points to water because I just really felt like I, I needed to have that option of just plain water um, to kind of quench my thirst and not be as sugary. I also did fuel with a little bit of tailwind in there and I took some some real food at some of the aid stations. So four and a half miles in, I was probably in like 25th place, which funny enough is where I where I finished. And I, you know, throughout the race, I passed a few people and got passed by a number of people, but um, there wasn't really a lot of, of running with other people, believe it or not. I was pretty much alone for a good stretch of the first 20 miles. And, you know, occasionally somebody would, you know, I would pass somebody or somebody would pass me, but it was very rare. And oftentimes when you do pass somebody, you know, it, it as much as it would be like, it would be nice to run with somebody. Oftentimes if you're passing someone, you're going fairly different paces. You know, it's not like you're going five to 10 seconds per mile different. You know, you're going like 30 seconds per mile different. So it's hard to to really stop and run with somebody else if you're going by them. So there was a lot of super technical sections in this course, a lot of hills, a lot of rocks. There's this cactus kind of plant called Sotol that, um, you know, it sticks out into the, into the trail in a lot of spots and really uh, can cut up your legs. I decided to wear calf sleeves because I wanted to protect my lower legs against this, but my the area between my my calf compression sleeves and my shorts did get fairly cut up, but it, it didn't really hurt that much in my experience. I did notice, like I would look down and see some like cuts and some blood, but it didn't really hurt that much, which was good. Um, but it's definitely something to be aware of. So um, managed to make it through the the first twenty miles or so, and felt pretty good, and finally got to some runnable sections, and was able to to settle into a kind of a good groove and click off some good miles. And, um, I also ran with, with a guy for, for a few miles, which was really nice to not be alone for a bit and share some conversation. A local guy from Colorado, Mark, who, um, used to be a pro triathlete and really strong athlete. And, um, he, um, 
yeah, he was good company for, for a while. And so we ran together for a bit and then I kind of felt, felt good on some of the run a little bit. So I pushed the pace and, uh, ended up finishing the, the first 50 K and just a bit over four and a half hours, which I was really happy with. And it was only about 30 minutes behind the, the leaders. It was right around the, the time that I kind of was shooting for. I thought somewhere between nine and 10 hours was probably realistic. And uh, so I was very happy with that. Um, now going into the second mile, second lap, second 50K, because it's two 50K loops, um, I had decided that it would be really helpful to have a pacer for this section, knowing that after 50K, I was going to be at the finish line and it would be you know very tempting to go into a, a low mental moment and possibly, you know, I didn't, I wasn't that afraid of dropping out. I felt really strong going into this race, but I knew that it could be a, a spot where, you know, some of those doubts and, um, yeah, the mental low, low moments might come. So I decided to have Gabe pace me for the first nine and a half miles in the second loop, which was a great call. It was really nice having some company for a bit. Um, having some conversation and and just it kind of broke up the race in a nice way because I knew like all right once Gabe drops off then I will only have about 20 miles to go and so it was a nice way to to just break things up I knew I was like all right nine miles I will have company and then I just have to get to that last four miles when I had asked my sister to pace me for the last four so it just chunked it up a little bit which made it a little more digestible so Gabe joined me for those those nine miles, the first nine and a half in the in the second lap, and uh, it definitely was a was a slower go. Um, I was walking a lot more on the hills, and uh, yeah, just just moving slow and controlled. It had stopped raining, and so what ended up happening was it started to get warm, um, you know, which was which was a challenge, but also because it had rained the ground had kind of gotten a little muddy and it was very sticky mud so it would stick to your shoes and because so many people had gone over this course already in lap one and then a number of people in lap two there was a fair amount of mud getting tracked onto the rocks so you'd get this mud stuck on your shoes and then you would step on a rock that had mud on it and it was super slippery so I was going really slow and controlled, even in lap one, when the, the rocks were not covered uh, with mud, they were just a little wet. I noticed that the people around me were were gapping me on the, the descents. The technical descents were where I lost a lot of time. And that's not, not necessarily something that <clears throat> I'm too concerned with because at the end of the day, my goal was to finish and finish healthy. And I felt most comfortable slowing it down on the technical descents. So I did that again on the second loop, especially with the mud. Um, you know, I I would love to be able to run all the downhills because that's where you can really make up some time. But if I didn't feel like I could safely descend, I slowed to to a walk. Um, and I'm glad that I did that. So anyways, um, Gabe and I kept pushing on and, uh, you know, we took our time over the technical sections. Unfortunately, Gabe, he didn't tell me this, but he he rolled his ankle during the during the, the first five miles with me and being such a trooper and a team player. He he didn't tell me because he didn't want it to be in, in my mind. And uh, 
and so he just kind of sucked it up and and kept running with me um so he's a he's a real awesome dude and uh he's got the houston marathon coming up this weekend which i'll chat more about at, at the end of this podcast but anyways um it was great having gabe join me and we, we ran with mark and his pacer for a bit so it was nice to have like a little group out there and uh we got passed by a few people nicole bitter came by um she was looking really strong she went on to take second female um earn her golden ticket to western states um she was looking really strong and uh yeah we we were just kind of putting one mile one mile together at a time and finally got to the point where gabe dropped off and it was at that point that i i really knew that i i was overheating um it had gotten quite hot and humid and so um i said to gabe before we got to the equestrian aid station which is about nine and a half miles into each loop um, i told him i was like i'm gonna need to sit down and take a break and um so i grabbed a seat when we got to the aid station i had uh Sarah was was there and she she put um she put like cold washcloths on my my neck and um we changed my socks and they poured water over my head and so it was nice to to have that like break and to kind of reset and you know I definitely sat for more than I would have liked but I knew that I needed to that I you know that's one of the only things you really can do when you are overheating is slow down or stop let your heart rate come down, cool off. So I sat in the shade, had the cold washcloths, had cold water poured on my head, and that, and that really helped. I was passed by a few people while I was there. So, you know, it, it's a tough decision because you're going to give up time, give up places, but I knew that that was what I needed at that moment. So I took a break and then, uh, and then I pushed on and um, I was able to kind of go into a little bit of a, a groove and one of the interesting things that I found in the second lap more so than the, the first was that I had a lot of ups and downs, highs and lows. I would feel terrible, like my legs were heavy and I had no energy and just felt awful. And then all of a sudden I would feel good and I'd be find, find myself getting into a groove and running and, and feeling good again. And it, it really cycled back and forth. And you know, that, that can be challenging mentally, but the thing that was nice about it was that when I went into a low moment, I knew that there would be another wave of feeling okay and feeling good again. So I just, when I went into a low spot, I just kind of sat there, just kept myself moving and just trusted that I would come out of it at some point. And uh, I got passed by maybe one or two more people in, in the next seven mile stretch one of the smart decisions that I had made going into that was I had asked my sister to get my running pack ready with my phone and with my headphones so that I could listen to music. I knew that going from having Gabe with me, having company, having conversation to being alone again, it was probably going to be a little bit of a challenge and might put me into a, you know, a low spot mentally. I also knew that this seven mile stretch between aid stations, which was the longest, um, you know, longest distance, but also because I was moving slower at this point, it was going to be the most time between aid stations all day. So having my music was, was really helpful. Um, you're out in the middle of nowhere, so I had no service. So I was listening to downloaded music I had on Spotify and for probably about an hour, 
I listened to my top songs from 2022, which was really nice. A lot of bands that I really love, a lot of songs that I love. Uh, but I got to a point where I was starting to get a little annoyed by the music. It just felt kind of repetitive and it just wasn't the right mood. So I went into my phone and I looked at what I had downloaded. And this might come across a little bit crazy, but I spent probably about three hours, maybe more, listening to the sounds of night rain. I had a, a, a playlist downloaded on my phone that I will sometimes play when I'm struggling to fall asleep that is called Night Rain. And it's basically just the sounds of rain and uh, you know, rolling thunder. And it's very calming, very relaxing, uh, very meditative. And so that was what I listened to. And I, I didn't know that it was going to work for me, but it, it worked. And I don't really know why, um, but it just helped me kind of zone out and not think about what I was currently experiencing. And, uh, and it worked. So I, I enjoyed that. And it's definitely something that I will keep in mind for future races. Um, so, yeah, uh, I did have a great conversation with uh, Amanda Basham and, and Justin Grunewald, who came by me probably about 12 or so miles into the uh the second loop and um for those that don't know them they're two awesome people live in, live in boulder and um people that i've followed on social media and strava for a while and so i'm familiar with their stories and um so super cool to have a conversation with them and to run with them for a little bit i really wanted to have the the strength to run with them for longer but uh, my ankle was kind of giving me some issues at this point my left ankle and energy was kind of zapped. The sun had come out. So I was really suffering in the, in the heat. And, uh, so unfortunately I dropped off and, and had to run solo for the, the last bit to, uh, to the next aid station. But, um, I got there and Sarah and Gabe greeted me there and, um, they again, cooled me off. Um, one thing that I, that I forgot to mention after the, the first lap, Sarah had looked at me and she said, uh, do you want my singlet? We we all were wearing training with Tucker singlets, and uh, and so she looked at me and she was like, "Do you want to wear? Do you want to switch singlets?" And I was I thought she was just talking about my singlet being drenched, being very wet because it you know from the rain, from sweat, it was it was wet for sure. Um, so I I said, "No, it's fine. Like I'm just gonna get yours wet too. Like it, it's fine. I, I I don't need a dry singlet." What I didn't realize was that she was referring to the fact that uh, my nipples had started to bleed and uh, I was wearing a white singlet. So it looked like I had been shot. Um, so to backtrack, about three miles into the race, the band-aids that I had put over my nipples had fallen off. And uh, well, they'd fallen off the, the inside part and uh, due to having chest hair. And so they were just kind of dangling. And so when I got to the first aid station, I ripped them off and I gave them to Sarah and Gabe. So um, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't feel any discomfort. It wasn't hurting or anything like that. Uh, but I guess I had, because my, my shirt was, was wet and um, there was some chafing because I was moving. Uh, so I, my nipples had started to bleed. So it was not a pretty picture. Um, but when I had gotten to the next couple aid stations, people were, were super nice and, and generous there and had asked me if I wanted some 
um, some some uh, Vaseline to to put on them, which I did, and that kind of did the trick for the rest of the way. But um, anyways, to go back to the uh, Chapas aid station, which is about 21 miles into each loop, so with about 10 miles to go in the race, I uh, I had some chafing on my legs as well, so I put on some um, some body glide and uh, to to really help with that, I um, I actually drank some ginger ale, which I've never taken in during a race before. And I know, uh, you know, as a coach, it probably sounds kind of silly to, uh, to try something new on race day, but my stomach had been feeling like, okay, all day, but not great. And so I just decided, all right, this is, this is cool. And, um, you know, ginger ale is is like kind of one of, kind of one of the only, only sodas that I will drink. Um, and I don't drink it frequently, but Occasionally, especially when, if I'm sick, it's something that I that I will enjoy. So I figured I'd give it a shot, and it it helped, kind of helped settle my stomach, and I was able to to kind of settle into a, a groove and keep moving. Um, so I, I pushed on and, and ran the next six miles, and so I, I got to about three miles from the last aid station, which is where I was going to pick up Sarah. And to backtrack a little bit, going into this race, as I mentioned. I was hoping for like nine to 10 hours. If I had a really good day, maybe under nine. Didn't know exactly what the, the course was going to be like and didn't know how I was going to feel and how the body was going to hold up. So I was trying not to set like any specific goals, but I, I really wanted to be under 10 hours. Anyways, uh, first lap was great. Second lap, especially in that first nine miles, I kind of threw myself a little bit of a pity party thinking about how slow I was moving and I wasn't feeling that great. And I started to do some of like the mental math, which is hard to avoid doing. And I was thinking about, okay, well, if I'm running this pace, this is how many miles per hour I'm going to get. This is how many miles I have to go. This is how many hours it's going to take me. And just kind of thinking about how I could possibly run the second 50K in like six and a half hours and like maybe finish around 11 or 12 hours. And, and that was kind of demoralizing. And so again, threw myself a little pity party, but at some point my mindset shifted and I went from thinking about the outcome and what that was going to say to the outside world and what that was going to say about me. And I shifted it to why do I do these things? And when I dropped out of Mesa's Hideout 100 back in 2021, the last ultra that I did, that was a big thing for me, was that I felt like my why wasn't accessible enough when I got into those dark places. And yes, this is a much shorter race, so it's a different mindset. But this time, I was really happy and proud of myself for being able to shift my mindset. Because it could have been very easy if I was only focused on, I need to run a specific time, I need to come in in a specific place. It could have been easy to really get down in the dumps and either you know throw in the towel completely and drop out or just completely give up and not try. And so I was really happy that I was able to shift to, okay, why do I do these things? I do these things because I want to challenge myself. I want to find that that point where I'm like at the 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 spot where I think I'm I'm at my limit 
you know, I can't go any faster. I can't go any further. And then I want to see what that's like and explore that area and see if I can push beyond it. And I also do these things because I enjoy and I love being a part of the, the trail running community. And so being able to shift that mindset helped a lot. And I got into a much more positive frame of mind. Um, I was passing a few people, some 100K runners, but more so there were 50K runners out there that were doing one loop and they were walking, hiking. And um, so, you know, they were taking longer to do the 50K than uh, if they were, let's say, running it. And instead of just blowing by these people, I started having conversations with them. Just a few words, you know, exchanging some pleasantries, but it really helped to take me out of what was going on for me and bring me back to, I'm out here with other people, other people that are pushing themselves, other people that are doing hard things. And I'm out here in a beautiful place doing something hard and I'm lucky to do that. So that was a really helpful shift in my perspective and um, really helped me to be proud of myself even though I finished in just under 11 hours and uh, you know I finished in 25th place and going into it I thought all right well if I finish under 10 hours there's a good chance I finish top 15 you know maybe top 10 which would have been great but that wasn't going to happen and I also you know I got to that point where I knew it was going to take probably more than than I had to give to to get there and I wasn't going to enjoy myself. I really wanted to enjoy myself as much as I possibly could. So, got to a road crossing where Gabe and Sarah were uh, posted up. It wasn't an aid station, but they had come to that spot to cheer me on. It was great to see them one extra time and it was right before I headed into a fairly flat and runnable section that I had done well on on the first lap i had been running probably my fastest miles there i knew that i could get into a groove and um you know unlike the rest of the course where it's constantly going up or going down or it's technical this you can actually settle into a pace and run and i was not moving very fast i was walking i was running i was you know even when i was running i was probably running 10 to 11 minute pace um, even though it felt much faster than that and so I decided to try this method of if going slow doesn't feel good maybe try going faster and see if that feels good and so I just decided to to push myself I knew that I had three miles until I was going to pick up Sarah and I was like all right if I can push myself these next three miles that will set me up to possibly come in under 11 hours. And so I settled into a, a groove. I was holding like 9 to 9.30 pace, which was considerably faster than I had been going, where I was getting like 11 to 12 minute miles. And it felt kind of okay. And so I passed a few people. And um, so that was, you know, helped to kind of build the the positive energy and the momentum. And uh, just doing the mental math, I was like, all right, you know, I'm now six miles out. I'm now five miles out. What will I have to average to to get under 11 hours? 
And knowing that the the last four miles, there was going to be a fairly steep incline and a, a good decline that, um, you know, were pretty technical and were going to be slow. I wasn't really sure if it was possible, but I knew that I was giving myself this chance. So get to the last aid station. And I just said to Sarah, I was like, I'm not stopping. We're going. Um, I handed off my handheld bottle and my phone to Gabe just to try to shed a little bit of, of weight. And, and we took off and, um, you know, Sarah is a, is a runner, but she's, she, she doesn't run as consistently as, as I do. And, um, she runs mostly on the roads and, um, you know, running is, is not as big of a part of her life as, as it is for me. That's for sure. And, She's got many other hobbies that she likes to do more than running, but she's not she's not unfamiliar with running. She ran track and cross country in high school. So um, although I would bet that the last time she really ran on trails like this was probably in high school cross country um, and she was in road shoes. So it was a little bit of a stretch for her, um, but she is one of the most selfless people I know. And uh, and so she just fully embraced this idea of helping me like all weekend. But in this last four miles, she fully embraced helping me get to the finish line, whatever that was going to take. Um, We also picked up my headlamp going into the last four because it was starting to kind of get dusky. So anyways, the first two miles of the four mile stretch to the finish were pretty runnable. And so we were running nine to 10 minute pace. And when it went to single track, I just told her, I was like, you go in front and you just run the pace that feels good for you. Run whatever whatever pace you can. And I'm just going to rely on my sibling competitiveness and just hang on for dear life, which worked for the most part. Um, you know, it, it was hard at times to, to keep up just because I really wanted to stop and take a walk break and she just, you know, wouldn't let me. Um, but that was good. And so... We made it to the the steep climb and we hiked our way up it. And it, I mean, it's a brutal, brutal climb. And uh, we made our way up it and then made our way down the descent on the other side. It was now getting kind of dark. So my headlamp was on. Um, she was using her phone flashlight as, uh, as a light, which not ideal, but um, we made do. And, uh, we got into the last like mile stretch. And I mean, this whole time I was just like grunting and groaning and complaining and (laughs) just, you know, gutting it out because, uh, you know, I wasn't moving very good at this point. And, um, anyways, we get into the last mile, my ankles had held up. Okay. All day. It's a very technical course. So you're going to get little ankle rolls here and there. I didn't have any bad ankle rolls, which was good. And then with the the light fading and going into kind of a woodsy section, even though I have my headlamp on, I, you know, you can't see where your foot is going to be landing as well. And so I ended up rolling my left ankle, my bad ankle, three times in the last mile, which sucked. And I was like screaming out of like frustration and pain and um anyways you know sarah kept giving me reinforcement and encouragement and getting me to just keep moving forward and um 
you know, when we had been going over the the technical uphill and downhill, I had actually pulled a bit ahead of her. Um, you know, I think she was trying to be really careful not to fall. And um, I was just trying to get this damn thing over with. And um, and so anyways, I, you know, I was kind of feeling good and I was like pushing for that sub 11 and she was like encouraging me to just leave her and just go and just go. And again, I had a moment where my mindset kind of shifted from I need to get in, in under 11 hours to what am what's going to be the most enjoyable and the most memorable for me and decided like I really want to cross the finish line with my sister. And so I slowed down, waited for her to join me. And I told her, I was like, I don't care what time we cross the line. Like we are crossing together. Like you are going to run every step with me and we're going to cross this together. And so that's what we did. And um, we made the the last couple turns, right turn and a left turn and made our way across the finish line and managed to, to even though we, you know, had decided to, to run it together, we still made it in under 11 hours, 10 hours, 58 minutes and change, which, um, you know, I think one of the things that, that changed in my mindset was like, there's really no difference at the end of the day between eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 10th place, 15th place, 30th place. Like if you're not finishing in the top two and getting that golden ticket, there's really no difference. And so I was super happy to finish under 11 hours. It's always nice to get under, you know, get under a nice round number. But um, it definitely helped to shift that mindset to the result isn't as much of the focus here. It's more about the experience and the and and the process, not the outcome. And uh, so anyways, super memorable to cross the, the finish line with my sister and have her share my first 100K experience uh, with me. And, um, you know, not just the running piece, but just to have her there with me the whole weekend was, was really awesome. Um, having my coach out on course, Ryan was there and he was super supportive and cheering me on at the different aid stations that he was at getting a high five from him after the first 50 K was definitely one of the, the highlights of my day. Um, so an amazing experience. I, I sat down and, and enjoyed just not moving for the first time in, in 11 hours um, and was able to, to take in some food and even have a beer. And um, so it, it was a great experience. I'm super grateful for how it all went down. And um, yeah, I've, I've rambled quite a bit on Bandera. Um, hopefully there are some good takeaways for, for people here and hopefully you've enjoyed, enjoyed this uh, recounting of my Bandera 100K experience. Um, I wanted to talk a little also about the Houston Marathon and Half Marathon, which are this weekend. And, you know, one, I wanted to wish everybody that's going down there good luck. Um, it's kind of the first big uh, marathon, half marathon of the, um, of, of the year of 2023. And... So it draws a big field. Um, it's a flat course. And of course, last year it was like perfect running weather. Um, it was nice and cool and not too humid. And this year is going to be hot and it is going to be humid. And so, you know, one of the things that I just wanted to to encourage people to, to do is to be patient. And that was something that I was reminding myself 
last week at Bandera when it was hot and humid was that patience is going to be rewarded. Now, for me, I still suffered in the heat and humidity and my I had a huge positive split. So it's tough to say that like patience was rewarded in my case, although I do believe that it was because I think there's a chance if I had gone too hard in the first lap that I might not have finished. Um, you know, could have had some some heat heat exhaust heat exhaustion or heat stroke or those sorts of things. Um, so uh, be patient and be willing to adjust your your time goals. I know it's tough. You've trained hard. You've worked really hard for this moment and you've had a time in mind of something that you wanted to to hit, but it's much better to be patient and to run your best possible race on this day than it is to go out and run your goal pace for 13, 16, 18 miles and then fall apart because the heat and humidity just, you know, eat you alive. So be, be flexible, be willing to adjust your goals. If you need help with figuring out how you should adjust your goals, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you and share my advice for how you can pace yourself accordingly. Uh, Make sure that you are hydrating and taking in electrolytes. Don't just drink plain water. Make sure you're also taking in electrolytes. You will be sweating a good amount in this heat and humidity. So it's important that you try to replenish as much as you possibly can. Um, and have fun out there. You know, it's it's still it going to be a great day, even if you don't maybe run the time that you had envisioned when you started your training. That's all right. You know, it's still going to be a great experience. You get to be out there, get to move your body, you get to challenge yourself, you get to be with you know a ton of other runners, and that is all really great stuff. So focus on that, and don't put the pressure on yourself to get the result. You know, we, we can only control what we can control. And unfortunately, weather is not one of those things. Houston's one of those races where people sign up for it because it tends to be, you know, one of the winter races because you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of uh, winter races in the north because of the, the snow and the cold, but, um, you know, you have them in the south. So it tends to be one of those more popular winter races because of of its location and it's the the weather is generally quite quite good um but it's out of our control and there will be another race day in the future and you know focus on your health and your happiness first and foremost do what feels good for you on the day even if that means just you know throwing your your expectations out the window and just going out there and having as much fun as you possibly can um because that that's the important thing that's what you'll remember. And, uh, you know, there will be future days in, in, in the future where a race day will align and you'll have the, the weather and you'll have the course and you'll have the training and, and all of that will work out. Uh, this just might not be it. Maybe it will. You know, I am wishing everybody the best of luck and I hope that everybody runs PRs and BQs and, and all that good stuff. But the heat and humidity is going to be a factor. So I would encourage you to, you know, adjust your goals be patient in the first half. And if you feel great in the second half, then let it rip, go for it, be competitive and uh, have a ton of fun out there. So anyways, I'm going to wrap it up here. This is about 45 minutes and uh, that's on the longer end for my podcast. So um, if you're still with me, thanks for, for hanging out for so long. And I look forward to chatting with you again next week.